0: Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Whenever and wherever it is that you are listening to us, we want to thank you in advance. We as fans have always appreciated your input as fellow fans. When you're happy, we're happy. When you're upset, we are too. But sometimes we're just a little bit more honest. We are the Bastards of Boston Baseball. You can find us on Twitter at Bastards underscore Boston i'm your host charlie smith coming to you from los angeles california you can find me on twitter at smith underscore mlb our other hosts for this episode are terry cushman coming to us from myrtle beach in south carolina by way of Windham, Maine, and joining us off the bench as a guest dr jim delfino coming to us from
1: shelton connecticut james how are you doing and where can the fans find you on twitter hi charlie nice to be here yep uh, fans can find me at jim delfino uh, on twitter and that's d a l f i n o awesome thank you and
0: uh terry how are you doing working the fans find you
2: i am doing splendid and i can be found at cushman mlb i love
0: this i've been you know before we got to do this episode i'm really really looking forward to hot takes just there may be some fun ones that we're going to get to get jazzed up <laughs> about so terry why don't you that lead off here why don't you go first with our first hot take
2: my first one. Okay. Um, so we'll we'll start off with a happy one. Um, Beantown USA on Twitter says, Big Poppy is the greatest baseball player of all time. So obviously he's not better than Mickey Mantle. He's not better than Joe DiMaggio or Ted Williams or Barry Bonds, if steroids is your thing. Um, but I will say this, he's the best postseason player of this century of which we're just about 23 years into, isn't that crazy? Like 10 years ago, like this century, you're like, well, there's not that big of a sample size. Now we're like a quarter of the way through the century, just about, it's like crazy. But you go back. I just... I don't know. And the Red Sox have been in the postseason a ton. And and we've gone to the World Series four times. And we've won all four. So not as many other players has had necessarily as many opportunities as Big Poppy. But you go back to 2004. He had two epic walk-offs against the Yankees in the ALCS. They were both in extra innings. One, I think, was in the 13th inning. Another was in the 14th inning. Two very emotional games in which our backs were against the wall. It ended up being the greatest comeback in the history of Major League Baseball in the playoffs. And so those two walk-offs were huge. And that's kind of where the legend of of Big Poppy was born. And then you go to 2013, Game 2 against the Tigers. You're down 6-2 to late in the game. It was the 7th or 8th inning. And he hits a grand slam off of Joaquin Benoit to tie the game. And the reason why that's so big is because if we're down two to nothing in that series, we're probably not coming back. We're losing it in five or six, basically. And we were very fortunate the next day to win a a one nothing game thanks to a solo home run uh, by Mike Napoli. Uh, but going back to Big Poppy, one of the most iconic postseason moments of all time, as that ball's going over the fence, you see Tory Hunter's legs upside down. You had the bullpen police officer celebrating just iconically. There were just so many, uh, so many iconic moments in and of themselves with that. And then he he follows that up by hitting like six twenty five in the World Series. That was his batting average in the World Series. So is he the greatest player of all time? Absolutely not. But I think he is the greatest postseason player of this of this century. And I'll, I'll say this: Ted Williams is is the greatest Red Sox player of all time. But I think Big Poppy is the most important Red Sox player of all time.
1: Jim, anything you want to add? Yeah, I mean, what's not to like about David Ortiz, right? I mean, obviously, the Twins gave up on him. Theo Epstein signed him with Jer- Jeremy Giambi to be part-time, you know. Um, and he just, you know, took the bull by the horns. Pedro Martinez said, you got to sign this guy. Uh, he's something special. He can be something special. Um You know, I've been watching baseball for well over forty-five years. Um, I've never, in my ability to see, a a more a a more greater postseason hitter or someone that just loved the spotlight and excelled as much as David Ortiz could. Um, You know, Terry talked about you know the two thousand four playoffs, and then of course the the home run you know in twenty thirteen it's hard to imagine that like we're like weeks away from the 10 year anniversary of that home run. I mean, it's insane to think that all this time has gone by. Um, but, you know, as far as, you know, best player ever. Yeah. He's not, um, you know, you can go back to mantle Maris, Ted Williams, Carly Skremski, you know, any of those guys, um, you know, already banks, I don't care how, how far back you want to go. Um, I think, Terry's right, 100%. He's the most important Red Sox player in the history of the team. Um, and, and for that reason, I mean, granted, like in the prime, if you've got a runner on second, late in a game, you're down by a run, maybe it's the bottom of the eighth, bottom of the ninth, whatever it might be, who do you want up at bat, right? I mean, do you, you know that's that's a guy that's going to be at the top of your list. Uh, every single time.
0: Yeah, I think uh, in the last 20 years, if you've been watching baseball since 2000 on, there's really only two or three guys that should come to your name. And if you're not counting steroids, David Ortiz, Albert Pujols, Those are really the only two names that I can think of that have been absolutely clout year in and year out. And one of them played for the Red Sox and was a part of multiple World Series titles, which we are forever thankful. So if you're only counting baseball for the last two to three decades you can make a case for that being the best player of all time if you're counting all baseball I can't and it'd be impossible really to do so but to Terry's point as far as postseason there's nobody else I'd rather have and if it's not him the ghost of him will do just as well uh he's that good and we're so lucky and so blessed to have him here um Jim what was your hot take
1: So my first hot take comes from Will Succeed, um, and he tweets, the inability uh, for the Red Sox to do anything at the trade deadline doomed this team yet again. Um, I think he's right on a lot of levels. Um, The last two years have been really a struggle at the trade deadline. Um, If we just talk about 22 for just a moment, um, the bottom line with with that team was there was kind of this – hybrid of selling and buying um and I think it really was something that really didn't do much good in the short term nor the long term and and here's the reason why by not by not getting rid of players that put you over the luxury tax and I'll use a couple examples like Xander Bogarts um you know Nathan Ivaldi, JD Martinez Christian Vasquez who they did trade but the bottom line is by staying over the luxury tax, there was no way that the Red Sox were going to go over the luxury tax with this team. And I feel even if they were in a better position in the rankings and the you know in, in the standings, they wouldn't have done that either because they get hit with so much if they do it three years in a row. And so that probably was not going to happen. The other egregious part about it is, is that by staying over the luxury tax last year, they lost draft positions. And for a guy like Haim Bloom that is so into draft development and finding four leaf clovers all around baseball, um, this was an egregious thing. This is something you shouldn't have done. He should have moved on from those guys because let's face it, you know, all three of them went to free agency and signed with other teams. Um, so you've got nothing in return for them. So now let's fast forward to 2023. The team was in a similar situation. Are you buying? Are you selling? Um, and instead of buying or selling, they did nothing but bring in another second baseman, who we already had DFA'd three or four of, and have seven in the system. So you bring that guy in, and you and the you know Blumenati's all happy about that, um, but the biggest thing here was you needed pitching yet again, and you didn't get any pitching. So it forced a lot of your bullpen to be taxed, and you have openers left and right for a team that in spring training was beating their chest and saying, "Oh, we can trade, you know, Tanner Houck to San Diego um, because we've got so much starting pitching." You can never ever have enough starting pitching in Major League Baseball. And so, again, Bloom does nothing. You tax guys. And now you're in a situation where, oh, well, we're going to get Chris Sale back and we're going to get Tanner Hawk back. We're going to get Whitlock. But Whitlock's going in the bullpen again this time. If they haven't screwed with that kid enough. Um, and, and so, look, you're in a situation where you had an opportunity and you blew it. So – I don't know what it means for 2024, but, yeah, I agree with Will. The inability to do anything in the trade deadline definitely screwed this up a second year in a row under the Bloom uh, guide. Terry.
2: This is why I think Bloom is on the verge of getting fired because for the second year in a row, he couldn't do what he probably really wanted to do. And if you trade James Paxton, when he was rolling at that point, one of the best pitchers in Major League Baseball for a couple of months, you trade him, you're getting a number six or seventh-ranked prospect in another team's system. You do that with Verdugo in uh, late July. I don't think he was in his slump at that point yet you probably get a similar haul. Uh, you know, you probably get... And and you're getting more than just that for Paxton. You're probably getting a, a, a mid-level guy, uh, you know, in addition to a, a top 10 guy for Paxton. I think for, for Verdugo as well, because Verdugo wouldn't have been a rental. They would have had him for next season. He's got pretty good numbers at the plate, and he's a very viable top-of-the-order bat in, in any lineup he can be their number one or two hitter and so you could have got a, a nice package there you might have been able to sell high on a guy like uh josh Winkowski, who i don't believe is as good as what his numbers say he is i i just i think this year is a bit of an anomaly i might uh I might've got a prospect for him. You're probably not getting quite a top 10 prospect, but if you add up all of those returns on all of those players, fan and baseball America have us as the fifth ranked farm system. We're probably the third ranked farm system, at least after making those moves and we couldn't do it because we botched last year's trade deadline. And it's just, it's just another aspect of Bloom just not knowing what he's doing, not being able to handle business uh, at a time where he really needs to. And I I think he was kind of afraid to do it. I, I think his his rear end is on the line and he thought we could compete. I, I don't know how far behind we were. I think it was two or three games behind the third place wildcard uh, at the deadline, but But he did nothing. He froze, and now Paxton's terrible. We've lost all the value there. Um, He's hurting us really bad. And, um, you know, Verdugo kind of went on a skid, but that seems to be resolved. But you you just... Standing Pat was literally the worst thing you could do. It it didn't help at all, and you didn't increase your playoff chances uh, on top of that. So...
0: Yeah, I mean, here's the thing. We've been talking about it, and I don't want to sound like I'm beating a dead horse. You cannot go into the season with the pitching situation the way that it is. And again, bringing up this quote again, uh, starting pitching is a position of depth for us. It is not a position of depth. You can never have enough pitching. As you mentioned, Jim, you're absolutely right. This is a, a pretty gross example of what happens when you are not prepared and you're not planning for the future. There's gonna be an injury, there's gonna be two, there's gonna be some trades, there's gonna be players that just don't work out. And when you have all that happen at the same time, you're gonna bottom out. The fact that we're doing this well so far is really a shock. It's a little bit of a surprise, I'm not, I'm not gonna lie. And I think some of us would agree with that. Blumenati's probably thinking, no, this team, You know, if we just added one or two more pieces, that's great. Had we had them at the beginning of the year as opposed to trying to get them at the deadline would have made a, a significant difference. And Terry, you hit the nail on the head. Holding on to Paxton, holding on to Verdugo at this point, two mistakes, not one. Possibly two, at least one. Uh, because you go from getting a prospect or something to nothing. And possibly the same thing for Verdugo if he doesn't figure it out 100%. And Brenda, I do think, like you mentioned, that he has figured it out. But still, it's a scary situation that we're, uh, we're kind of witnessing here in Boston you know, it's it's just brutal. It's not the deadline that's the issue. It's the before the season starts that's the issue. You're supposed to just find tool and get a couple extra pieces at the deadline, not figure out what you're supposed to do for the season at the deadline. So it's I think it's kind of a backwards way of thinking about it, but still will succeed. Thank you for your, uh, your point. Anything else you guys want to add? All right. Uh, my first one comes from JDS Bostonian. Cora will quit after the season. Um, if he doesn't quit, he's fired. I don't think that Bloom wants to see him anymore. I think that that fairy tale has ended. Uh, Every manager, I've said this before as well, every manager signs a deal knowing that eventually one day they're going to get fired. The only way that that doesn't happen is if you retire, if you quit and Alex Cora is going to probably be in that boat, he's going to be told either leave, retire or you're fired. So I absolutely think, you know, not a hot take. I think that's a reality. Especially after what we've witnessed in 2023 and 2022 as well. Things are just not going great for the Red Sox and Alex Cora, even twice in a series, getting thrown out. He doesn't want to be there. You know, it's just a brutal reality of 2023 for not only the players, but the manager as well. I don't think he's going to come back this year. Terry.
2: Steadfastly, I don't think he or Bloom are coming back. But I could see Cora just saying, "I want to go home to my kids. Like I'm tired of this juggling act. I didn't have to do it with the last GM that we had, Dombrowski, who addressed every need he ever had. You know, every every off season, every trade deadline, and I just you're you're constantly." having to turn chicken crap into chicken salad and it's just impossible and it gets tougher year after year i mean you look at 2021 a big reason we got that far into the postseason was because of eduardo rodriguez because of nathan Ivaldi, and a, a couple other guys that were of the dombrowski era as those guys have all gotten replaced, this team has just gotten far worse. And the the pitching has gotten less and less sustainable. So I don't – I wouldn't be surprised at all if, if Cora just needs to take a timeout. I mean, Boston's a pressure cooker. You look at the team we just faced, Kansas City, do you think Matt Quitrero is under nearly as much pressure – on a daily, if not hourly, basis, as Alex Cora, I I don't think that he is. So, wouldn't surprise me at all if he just bows out at the end of the year.
1: Go ahead, Jim. Jim. So, as far as Alex Cora is concerned, um, will he quit after the season? I don't think he's going to quit. There could be the possibility of him giving ownership an ultimatum. Um, we all have heard the rumors that Cora might want to be a GM one day. Um, and we know that this ownership group loves him, right? Um, they loved him coming in. Um, they loved him enough to stick by his um, you know, being suspended and bringing him back, right? Um, So there's definitely a great relationship there with Cora and ownership. Um, The question becomes, you know, you're drawing straws between Cora and Bloom. Obviously, this relationship isn't working. Cora is the type of manager that you want when you are ready to win a title. I don't think he's a guy that wants to be in a rebuild. And that's exactly what he's been involved with for two seasons now. Um And, you know, 2024, frankly, doesn't look like it's going to be any better in terms of the end of the rebuild, if I can. So um, I think that the only way that Cora stays as a manager is if there is some level of discussion between ownership, high and Bloom management, and whatnot, that they're going to be aggressive this offseason. And they're going to bring in quality players, quality names, that there's going to be some kind of, you know, uh, big change to, you know, the, the, the roster. Otherwise, I think there's a very good possibility he goes to man ownership with an ultimatum and say, look, um, either I'm going to be GM here or I'm gone. Um, and I think if that ultimatum comes out of his mouth, I truly believe that John Henry will quiver. I think that Tom Warner, uh, who really values what people think of him, uh, will not like that, and I think they'll succumb to that. It's no different than the Rafael Devers signing. You know, when there was enough um, people complaining about that, they 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 quiver. So I think I think that's what's going to happen. He's going to give him an ultimatum, and then he might be the general manager, and he can bring in his own manager. So that's how I see it working out. Take.
2: Let me just weigh in on that because it's an interesting theory. Um, I I don't know if he would be a good GM or not. He might be, but I don't want to be the guinea pigs. <laughs> and whether he is or he isn't at this point, I just think we've been through so much the last uh, you know three or four years. I just kind of rather go the conventional route with a guy who has played a huge role in, in already building a roster. Um, that, that's personally what I would like to see. Let me just kind of backstep a second as well, just in terms of him managing and possibly stepping down. Let me just ask you guys this. If either him or let's say Sam Fold was the manager this year, and the reason why I'm using Sam Fold is because he was the runner-up to Alex Cora when they rehired him uh, in early 2021. But if Sam Fold is managing this 2023 Red Sox team with the same circumstances Alex Cora has had to deal with, do we win less games, about as many, or do we win more games? Because I think it's it's probably significantly less games.
0: Well, I'm going to first address one point that Jim made earlier. The theory of Alex Cora being the GM, while I think it may quiver certain people for a moment, to Terry's point, I don't know if I can see that happening either. And I don't think it's that... I, I don't think that he would be awful in Boston, but I think because of people's already having the knowledge of what happened with him in Houston, I think that mixed in with the fact of, you know, Apple Watchgate, whatever you want to call it, people are going to think, oh, you know, if anything shady happens in Boston, it's forever going to be a, okay, it's going to be under the cloud of Alex Cora, and it's you, – you've watched a manager win the World Series in his first year again in Boston, and slowly but surely the pieces are just slowly but surely starting to fall off. I just I, – I just – I don't know if I can see it happening. I, I do think it's an interesting theory, Jim. I really, really do, and, and I hadn't thought about it before and, and thinking about it. first, I was like, no, nah, there's no way. Well, wait, maybe – No. No, but it's actually,
1: it's something that's, it's going to make you think. Yeah. Jim. Yeah. So I only bring that up because there, there is some narratives around there that he wants to be a GM at some point in his, in his, in his, in his future. Um, so I think, you know, looking at Joey's comment there and saying Coral will quit after the season. I think it's, I think it's, there's, there's more layers to it. And that's why I brought that up. Um, but, you know, the bottom line, you know, if I could answer Terry's question about a guy like Sam Fold and things like that, I think it's the same or worse. You know, I'll go with Terry saying it's worse. And, and But also, too, those two would blend better because I think they're of the same mind. Cora's Cora, while he does like the analytics, he's still got more of a baseball um, eyeball test mentality. And I think that that would and I think that's why there's some there's headbutting between the two of them.
2: I prefer that style, though. Uh, I I don't want to. I think too much analytics is is extremely flawed. I feel like
0: right. And you're you're you know you're watching firsthand what happens when teams try to pull that card. Uh, Terry, what is your next hot take?
2: My next hot take. Um, bear with me. Comes from Greg. L- Lafum, I think he pronounces it, and he says basically John Henry should sell the team. Thanks. And uh, so, responding to that, um, you're you're seeing more and more of that as the frustration boils over. I, I mean, you go back to the last World Series that was 2018. So when that ended, I mean. How disappointing would it be to you if I said you're only going to make the playoffs one time in the next five years? That would be gross coming off of the greatest season of all time, uh, you know, as far as wins and then following it up with a World Series. Uh, So there's a lot of frustration with the Red Sox right now. And but on the other hand, they have given us. Four championships and I know we didn't sign Mookie and I don't know if that will ever be solved. What really happened? You know, I think Dave Dombrowski, like I said, in a recent episode, if, if one of the beat writers could just go have a conversation with him, I think he would give us the real truth. But, um, but aside from the Mookie thing, I think we're all over the Bogarts thing right now. They're, they're starting to call him, uh, Xander Hosmer, out in uh, San Diego, um, I I think ownership's been good. You know, our payroll is always one of the highest. Um, we've we've had really we've had really good farm systems over the years. I mean, we've had a, a you know a fair amount of homegrown talent, at least from the offensive side. Not so much the pitching side, but um, so I think compared to so many other owners it it could be worse and I wouldn't want a Steve Cohen type owner I don't think I it's so hard to buy a World Series even The, the Yankees were really the last team to do it in 2009 and they've tried to do it a bunch of times since and it hasn't worked so I I think I'd be a little uncomfortable if if we had new owners but I think the problem here is there's always been an identity crisis. Like ideally, I, I think Theo Epstein wouldn't have left in you know, what was it after 2011 and we would have had we would have brought in smart you know assistant GMs to to adapt, you know over time like so many other front offices have. And had that happened, you don't have the whole Bobby Vol- Valentine drama that uh, was forced on Ben Sherrington. And I don't think we really, I don't think Ben Sherrington really had a chance because I, I think the owners were too involved, especially Larry Lucchino. I think Bill James had too big of a voice uh, behind the scenes. And I don't think we really got to see what, what Ben Sherrington could have done. Uh, and then and then you, you pivot and you bring in Dombrowski and you know, he did what he was supposed to do. He won us a World Series, but we haven't, we haven't, you know, kind of, we haven't really traveled in a consistent path. It's been so many piv- pivots over the years, and so many knee jerk reactions, and so. And I, as many World Series as we've won, we've finished last a ton of times. I mean, last decade, we finished last three times. And we didn't make the playoffs two other times in addition to that, despite not finishing last. Because you had the epic collapse in, in 2011. And then the year Dombrowski got fired, we had 84, 85 wins, something like that. But... I hopefully the next gm is is you know competent and someone that's going to be around for a while and hopefully the as the baton gets passed from gm to gm hopefully over the next couple of decades that you know it it'll, it'll be from an organization that's that's very streamlined and um, you know not constantly pivoting like i said so, I, I don't think I, I don't want to see new owners, I guess, to wrap up my take on it. Uh, Jim.
1: Yeah, I mean, look, people are frustrated, right? You know, you've got uh, a general manager that a lot of people don't like, um, they don't know what his direction is, um, they don't know what he's capable of doing. And, and so. As a result of that, you know, you start getting involved with John Henry and ownership. And, you know, when when things go wrong, it's always, well, sell the team, you know, move on, blow it up. It's all those answers. Um, and, you know, when you start thinking critically, that's not necessarily the case or the best thing to do. I, I mean, for a guy, and I'm saying guy when I say John Henry, but this ownership group, for a guy that, you know, won four championships, it's amazing and astonishing to see the amount of negativity and hatred that he has. Um and I think a lot of it has to do with the roller coaster that's been the Red Sox for 20 years now. You know, win a championship, finishing last, winning championship, finishing last. I mean that seems to be, you know, the Red Sox in a nutshell for 20 years now. Um And I think what's got a lot of people upset is the inability to be more consistent. We need to be more like the Dodgers. We need to be more like the Braves have that consistency. The problem is, is that, you know, the Red Sox are the smartest team in the room and they think they've always nailed the next big way to handle um, how to construct a roster. Right. In 2013, you know, Ben Sherrington brought in some B-style players like Mike Napoli, Shane Victorino, Mike Carp, Johnny Gomes, and things like that. Um, they weren't stud players. They weren't, you know, Ronald Acuna Jr. type players. They were average, blue-collar baseball players. Um, but the mentality was there. Um, I remember in spring training... Johnny Gomes is stretching, you know, on the ground. And they said to him, What's your goal for this year? And he said, Win a World Series. The mentality was there from the beginning. So they won the World Series in 2013. And then the Red Sox say, Hey, we figured out a new thing. We'll just get B style players. And that didn't work too well moving forward. So then they started spending money again. Let's get Hanley Ramirez. Let's get Pablo Sandoval. And then that backfired. So it's been this roller coaster up and down with them. Um, I don't want new ownership, but what I would like is for ownership to show a little bit more involvement than they have the last few years. You never see John Henry ever. He's never giving in in interviews. He's never talking to the fans. Um, and I think that's what the fans maybe want. They want that accountability and they're not getting that accountability from ownership. Larry Lucchino got a lot of crap, you know, and he was a hard-nosed guy, but when he was running the Red Sox, I think you saw a different dynamic. I know we won in 2018. That team was stacked, but in 047 2008, 2013 with with Lucchino involved, it was just a little bit different. And and I like that. I liked I like that hatred with the Yankees and, you know, the evil empire and Lucchino wanting to do better uh, and always trying to strive, you know, against Steinbrenner and things like that when he was still alive. So I just think if there was a little bit more accountability from Henry and Warner, a little bit more talking points, Sam Kennedy, he's too vanilla for me. um, And I know they throw him out there to, you know, say what he needs to say and say all the right things. Like when Chris sale comes and says he doesn't do well and, you know, we're going to be good. We're going to do this. And they don't do it. They need to be more accountability. Keep John Henry, just be more accountable. I understand why fans are getting upset, and here's the thing. What it comes down to is the fact
0: that the Red Soxers, you know, back – you know, not back-to-back, but winning two World Series in four years. Then there was a little bit of a dry spell. Then two in five. And so it becomes that question of, okay, cool, how do you stay consistent? And Jim, you talked about a little bit of the, okay, we're going to go after top-tier talent. We're going to start winning, Okay. We don't have to necessarily go for A-list guys. We can get some like small pieces and fill in the gaps and then win a World Series. That's fine. That works. Sometimes, not every time. The Los Angeles Dodgers have way overspent, and they've only won one World Series. And the World Series that they won was the one that I actually don't count the Astros winning. I don't count 2020 because I think that was a BS year. Dodgers fans will disagree with me. I don't care. That's my take. You guys can disagree all you want. But then John Henry started exploring and buying different teams. You saw Liverpool get bought. You saw the Pittsburgh Penguins get bought. You're seeing all these, these bits of, of money getting spent and, and allocated to different organizations, different sports. And I get it. From a business standpoint, you're trying to get your foot wet in a bunch of different ponds. The problem is, I understand why fans are getting upset. You're dumping a boatload of money into Liverpool FC. You're, you're dumping a bunch of money into Pittsburgh. What about Boston? This is supposed to be your, your crown jewel. Boston is a crown jewel as far as Major League Baseball and sports are concerned. This should be the sport that you're spending a lot of money in. It doesn't make sense that fans are being required, essentially, if they want to go see the Red Sox, to spend stupid amounts of money to go see an inferior product. And that's why I think if you're not going to, you know, it's, it's hard for me to say, yeah, I'm going to spend a lot of money to go to Fenway Park because I think there's a pretty good chance we might not win that game. And I don't want to spend $150 or $200 for two seats you know, a couple of beers, a couple of burgers or whatever you want to get, dogs, parking, all that crazy thing. It's just, it's madness. So I understand why fans are upset. Uh, I would just, you know, I, I wish they could spend a little bit more money, get a better product, and then that way it would at least seem somewhat sufficient because now we're we're trying to play like a top-tier team by spending middle money. It just doesn't work. It's all, It's not Red Sox baseball. That's
2: Just real quick, I want to point something out here. Um, You guys know the infamous story where um, Epstein and and Luchino weren't getting along, so Epstein essentially quits, leaves Fenway Park in a gorilla suit, so he's not recognized. Um, The interesting thing about that was he refused to trade Hanley Ramirez. He didn't want to trade him at all, and as soon as he left... The two um they, they appointed basically two people to take over for him. I forget who they were, I forget their names. But they essentially traded Hanley Ramirez to the Marlins for Josh Beckett and Mike Lowell. And then fast forward just for a second before I go back to it to Heim Bloom, who seemed obsessed with getting rid of all the Dombrowski guys as many as he could so he could get his own team in here his own guys I really think he didn't even want to extend Devers I think it was kind of forced on him I think I think Haim possibly thought he could get away with moving on from Devers but go back to that Theo situation real quick he comes back to the Red Sox Hanley's been traded he gets back at Lowell and what does he do a few years later he extends those guys to semi long term deals, so there was no, there was no bitterness after the fact. And I was a big Josh Beckett guy, probably bigger than most people. I just, I really liked him, and I think universally we all love Mike Lowell. But um, that's just one of the things I kind of loved about Epstein, and one of the things I kind of, kind of hate about Hein Bloom. And going back to Sherrington, real quick, I. Uh, And I'm only speculating here, but I don't think he stood up to Luchino the same way Epstein did. I think Epstein got his way more often, and Sherrington just didn't have that luxury. He had Bobby Valentine forced on him. He had Bill James-type stuff crammed down his throat. And, uh, you know, he wasn't allowed to go get Max Scherzer like a big market team probably should have and all that, so... I didn't think we'd get that deep, but I just wanted to point all we that out we did. <laughs> yeah,
0: we did get really deep on, it, which is which is fine.
1: It's good. It was a good one. It's a good take. Uh, Jim, what's your next hot take? So my uh, second hot take um, was from Noah. No, yeah, Noah. Noah underscore rs three, um, and he simply states, "Duvall should stay." Um, so I, I, think, you know, Adam Duvall, let's, let's kind of like, you know, back up a little bit here, um, was hurt last year, um, has gold glove caliber, you know, corner outfield abilities, um, signed here as a right-handed power bat, uh, has a history of striking out lower batting average, but hitting a ton of home runs starts off the spring training really, really poorly. Um, and then when the season hits, you know, he was unworldly. I mean, people on Twitter were gasping at that, you know, um, I mean, the first couple couple games, you know, it was like MVP caliber type stuff. And then he gets hurt and the injury shocked a lot of us because, you know, what we didn't know what it was initially. Um, and then it was, well, what are we going to do about this? Well, what it did was it opened the door for Jaron Duran to give you a really amazing season. Um, And let's not be coy. If Duvall doesn't get that injury, I don't think Jaron Duran has this season. I don't think he's even up here. Um, So Duvall's gone for 90-some-odd games, comes back, and when he comes back, he basically looks like the Duvall we thought we were going to get, right, where he couldn't hit out of a paper bag, um, and he wasn't doing well. And then all of a sudden he turned it back on. And at one point, he was as hot as he was in April. Um, And now he's up to 19 home runs. uh, He has a decent batting average, and he's a right-handed power bat. So he is a free agent, obviously, at the end of the season. It was a one-year deal. Uh, but the Red Sox are going to need right-handed power. Um, we don't know if Justin Turner is going to opt in on his on his player option. Um, and, you know, we talked earlier about Trevor Story. I don't see a lot coming out of him from right-handed power. So, yeah, we are going to need that. The problem is, is that we've got an outfield of Yoshida left-handed, Duran maybe in center left-handed, and Verdugo in right field. And obviously, um, guys like Ref, Rob Snyder are still on the team and signed to an extension. So I think, you know, if they could go ahead and move Verdugo, um, I would definitely re-sign Duvall. Uh, maybe another one-year deal with a, with a club option. I think he is going to be 35, so you want to take that into consideration. Maybe a one-year deal with a club option or just a straight one-year deal. Um, I, I, I wouldn't give him a qualifying offer. I don't think he's worth that kind of money, but I would be interested in bringing him back um, if, the, if the deal is right. T?
2: I didn't pull up Duvall's salary uh, quick enough, but I think he's making 6 or $7 million, uh, this year. And he does have an injury history, which we've seen, and um, he missed some time. I think during the 21 season with Atlanta, but um, I think the easiest path to bringing him back is just overpay him a little bit for the one year. You know, if he's getting six or seven this year, give give him nine or 10 million next year. And if he likes playing in Boston enough, he probably takes the deal rather than try to, you know, test the market for a two year deal. And then, possibly not get it and then possibly get less money than the 9 or 10 million I just mentioned but like Jim says you're you're lefty heavy you're extremely lefty heavy um Yoshida, Duran, Verdugo and Abreu all lefties. Rob Snyder is your only other right-handed bat out in the outfield and I thought it was good that they signed Russ Snyder to a one-year extension beyond this year. But now that I'm seeing these kids, I'm like, wow, you know, why did they even need to do that? You know, I I mean, we didn't get to see much of Abreu this series. He's really interesting to me. That dude can rifle the ball and his plate discipline looks really good from from what I can tell. So they're going to have to they're going to have to solve this and you're going to have Costas endeavors in the lineup just about every day. So that's two lefties in the infield that are, are going to be in there. So I, I think I, I definitely would probably sign Duvall to a, to a one-year deal if he would agree to it and then move on from, um, probably Verdugo and why not? Cause you can get a Decent prospect for him, or like I said, maybe a mid-level pitcher if you add one one other person in there with him. And one other thing that could solve the Yoshida thing, if Turner doesn't come back and he might not, then Yoshida could be your DH most of the time. And that at least, it doesn't necessarily solve your lefty problem, but it, it gives your outfield a much clearer picture um so i mean turner's a hard guy to replace though so we'll see
0: well going after you when you have a hot take is also uh pretty hard too so you already kind of hit up on the fact that you know duval fans up coming back for you know 9 million 10 million at the most i'd say yes uh you've already seen what he can do through not even half a season and he's cracking 19 homers 51 RBI. so the ability to be that 35 to 40 home run guy is there. I'm curious to see if he can do it one more time, He'd be 35. Even if we get something close, if we get something in that 25, 30, 90 range, that's still pretty good output until we have a little bit more reinforcement from uh, some of our prospects that are coming up between the outfielders that are going to net you the biggest package. It's for Dugo or Durant. And if people really want to shell one, they'd probably rather get rid of Verdugo than Duran um, because Duran's going to be a possible future outfielder for the next, I don't know, you know, who knows how many years. Um, originally, I wasn't really keen on the idea of having Duvall come back. And then Duvall, within the last couple of weeks, has been able to really have that, that wrist injury not look like a problem because the month of August, this is somebody in the second half, had seven home runs. Uh, from the, I believe it was a, the 20th on, you're talking about 10 games, seven home runs. So now the home run you know, ability is back. He had a streak of a home run in four straight games and a, a home run in three straight games with a couple in between, we'll just call them days off. The power is there. We've already talked about the fact that we got too many left-handers there. Why waste time? Don't work harder, work smarter. Get the guy for 9 million, 10 million, get him to come back figure out the pitching situation, I think that's a huge step in the right direction. Uh, My hot take, and this is adorable, this is coming to us from Evan Goldbiewski. Not sure if I'm saying your name right, but I don't really care given the fact that you don't really know how to dress. You guys shouldn't have a podcast. So the first thing that came to my mind was let me try to do like a little deep digging here. So I go to the profile photo first. You literally look like you're wearing five-year-old shorts. Either that or you're wearing your girlfriend's shorts and she's probably calling because she wants them back. But you just – you look foolish beyond all recognition. So your words don't really carry too much water with me.
2: I'm leaving it at that.
0: Terry, anything you want to add?
2: Um, I just – need to get a good look at the shorts myself so evan g yeah i'm pretty sure he bought them at baby gap yeah he uh has bio pretty uh nondescript so just kind of scrolling down here just to see if i i don't know what a waste yeah what a waste usually the just people that come at us have um you know pretty pretty weird stuff but I mean, this is a zero. Yeah, we're on a good day, on a really good day. We, we're we the number two podcast in the Red Sox market. Um, there's a couple that are somewhat competitive with us, but we're doing 30,000 plus downloads a month. So I think literally thousands of people would be pretty sad if we didn't uh, do a podcast a couple times a week. So we'll just leave it at that.
0: Jim, anything you want to add to this poll?
1: Yeah, I mean, first of all, I don't know why you guys are even giving him the recognition. That's number one. <laughs> uh, n- num- yeah, so that that that's the first problem. The second problem is is that when this knucklehead goes ahead and gets his own podcast and gets 30,000 downloads a month, then we can make a judgment call. But until then, see you later. Yeah, yeah, that's, that's
0: one of those. I don't think there's anything else to add after that. So with all that, that's going to wrap it for all of us here tonight. We want to thank all of our loyal listeners and our first-time listeners as well. We appreciate all of you. Have a great night. Take care.